We're turning in God's Word to the New Testament for our scripture reading to Luke chapter 22. Luke's Gospel at chapter 22. And we're just going to read a short passage from God's Word today. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of His Word to each and every heart. Uh, Luke chapter 22. And this passage, of course, brings us to the eve of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have here Christ speaking to his disciples, to Peter in particular. And we read in Luke chapter 22 and the verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Amen. And we do know the Lord will bless uh, the public reading of his word to each and every heart. Let's all unite our hearts together in prayer as we come to God's word this morning. We certainly need the Lord's help. We need God's power. And let's pray that the Lord will move in our midst here today. Let's all pray. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we do thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And Lord, we are in great and urgent need of thy prayers even here this morning. We pray that thou would come with power today. We pray that thou would deal with our sins, that thou would sanctify us. We pray, O God, that thou would deal with our guilt and our shame. Deal with our defeat and our disgrace. And Lord, lead us more and more into the joy of the Lord. And we do pray that this joy of salvation will be our strength as we go forth to do battle day by day with the world, with the flesh, and with our arch adversary, that old serpent, the devil himself. We realize he is a very powerful and dangerous enemy. And, O oh God, we look to thee to defend us. We look to thee to encamp around about us. And we pray for thy protection, thy preservation. And, Lord, we pray that thou would help us uh, through trials and tribulations to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We do look to thee for help now as we come to thy word, as we meditate upon thy truth. We pray that God will speak to every heart. And Lord, especially those who are out of Christ today, speak with the voice that wakes the dead. Cause blinded eyes to see the irresistible beauty and glory of our Lord and of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. For we ask all these things in Christ's name and for our Saviour's sake. Amen. Amen. To be forewarned, we are told, is to be forearmed. And of course, that is very, very true. When it comes to wars, when it comes to battles, intelligence gathering is considered to be absolutely vital and absolutely critical. Uh, spying on the enemy, infiltrating organizations, knowing your enemy's strengths, their weaknesses, uh, their abilities, their tactics, uh, such knowledge often determines 
uh, the outcome of battles and of wars in this world. But of course, you and I who are saved, we are called to serve Christ in the midst of a spiritual warfare. Every single day of life until the day you and I die and pass into the presence of the Lord, we must do battle with the world. We must do battle with the flesh, our own remaining corruption. And of course, as our text indicates today, we must do battle with our arch adversary, that old serpent, the devil, Satan himself. Now in our text, we find the Lord Jesus Christ is for warning, and thus he is actually for arming the disciples, especially as Simon Peter, and he does so with this high priority intelligence, if you like, information, knowledge uh, concerning an imminent attack of the devil. Christ was saying to Peter and the other disciples that on that very night, uh, the forces of darkness would target the apostles, aiming at Peter in particular, focusing the attack upon Peter's faith. And faith, of course, is uh, one of those most important pieces of the believer's armor in the midst of this warfare. Remember the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 6. He tells us to take to ourselves uh, the whole armor of God. But then he says, above all, above all the shield of faith, by which we are enabled through the grace of God to quench all the fiery darts, especially uh, those burning accusations of the wicked one. We are in the midst of this battle. Christ, the captain of our salvation, he is sounding the alarm to Simon Peter, and he is sounding that alarm, that very same alarm to you and to me this morning, to this congregation. We must be alert. Simon, Simon, behold, be alert, be forewarned, be armed, be prepared, be ready to arms if you like. We must ready ourselves for the conflict. We must ready ourselves for the battle that is before us today, before us in this incoming week, and the battles that lie before us till the day uh, we die and meet the Lord Jesus Christ. In the time that we have this morning, I want to consider with you here the teaching of our text, or the doctrine, the theology, looking upon it, if you like, as military intelligence, vital intelligence, in our war with the devil, and in our battle against sin. In the first instance, I want to draw your attention here to the devil's desire, Satan's desire. If you want to put it this way, we're looking here at his military objective. What is Satan out to do? What is his plan? What is his scheme for your life and for my life? For certainly when you come to this tax, Satan had a plan, a plot against Simon Peter, the servant of the Lord. In verse 31, we read, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. The devil was out to destroy Peter. Now, of course, we have to emphasize uh, the devil could never destroy Peter's soul in hell. Uh, Peter was a genuinely saved man. This evening in the will of the Lord, we'll be uh, looking at a man who made a profession, a man who was very active in the work of God, but a man who was not a believer, 
a man who wasn't saved. Uh, when the Lord's servant was given the announcements there, he was uh, saying how it would be good to have uh, had the experience of walking with Christ and seeing the miracles firsthand. Uh, well, this evening we'll be looking at a character who did walk with Christ, who witnessed the miracles, who heard the Lord speak as never a man speak, and yet he wasn't genuinely saved. But here is a man, and in spite of all his failures, Peter was a true child of God. He had the experience of the new birth. He had been regenerated. Jesus Christ dwelt in him. Peter did not merely walk with Christ in a physical sense, but Christ dwelt in Peter. He was a man who knew the infilling, the indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord. And yet nonetheless, we discover here that he feels Christ. The devil was out to destroy Peter. He couldn't destroy his soul. Uh, Peter's soul was safe. He would never be in hell. He was a true child of God. But nonetheless, the devil was out to destroy Peter's testimony. And you can be sure, child of God, and even this congregation as a whole, the devil is out to destroy, to rack, to ruin your testimony and my testimony. He will do all within his power to drag us down through temptation and sin into the gutters of this world. We think of David of old and how David sinned even in a scandalous way. He fell into adultery had Uriah the Hittite sent to the hottest, most dangerous part of the battle. David as good as killed Uriah the Hittite. He lied. And he gave occasion to the enemies of God to mock and to blaspheme. And you can be sure that Satan is out to do the same in your life and in my life. He wants to bring us into that place of defeat. He wants to bring us into that place of disgrace and shame. And we need to be on our guard. I think of the words of Peter himself. He writes there in his first epistle, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. And yes, he's writing by inspiration. The words are inspired of God. They are inerrant. They are infallible. We know that to be so. But as well, Peter is writing from his personal experience. This was not mere theory to the apostle. And he says here, uh, be sober, be vigilant, First Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's out to destroy, he's out to devour, to destroy and devour our testimonies. He's out to destroy our usefulness in the service of God. He's out to paralyze us with guilt and with shame. He's out to disable the church. <clears throat> be sober, be vigilant. This is the warning of Christ for uh, this congregation, for this preacher today. We don't know what this week has in store. We don't know what temptations, what trials await us. 
Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Here we find the attacks, the assaults of the devil. Uh, Peter links them to afflictions in the world. Oftentimes the devil can attack directly with afflictions, uh, but certainly he will use afflictions. Again, we think of uh, the scriptural example of Job himself, uh, that great and godly man and how he was attacked by the devil. He lost his wealth, his livestock. He was plunged into great financial difficulties and trials. Maybe that's how the devil is attacking you today. We, we live at the present time in a global financial crisis. They say we're coming out of it, but people are still uh, losing their homes. Many are finding it hard to pay the mortgage or pay the car or whatever else. The devil attacked Job through his health. I don't know you very well. Perhaps some of you have received bad news this week. You're going through a crisis in regards to your health. Perhaps the devil's attacking you through bereavement. Job lost his children. The devil is using that loss, maybe of a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a father, a mother. The absence of your nearest and dearest to attack your soul. The devil has no decency about him. Maybe he's using an unsaved partner. We think of Job's wife. She, she told him to curse God and die. Maybe the devil is using your friends. You think of Job's friends with friends like those who need enemies. Miserable comforters are they all. And there are people in your life and the devil's using them. And we need to recognize this. The devil is as a roaring lion, Peter says. But remember the scriptures also identify Satan as coming with great subtlety and craftiness as a serpent. At times his servants come as if they were ministers of righteousness. We must not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Paul, uh, writing there uh, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, he says, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You can be sure the devil will have his snares, his devices. He has his scheme, he has his objective uh, for you and for me this week and in the months and in the years that lie before us. 
Of course, in that situation there, uh, there were difficulties in the congregation. Every congregation has difficulties. Uh, sometimes you're maybe the difficulty. Sometimes I'm maybe the difficulty. We're all just sinners saved by God's amazing grace. We're not yet perfected. Uh, one day we will be perfected. The devil will tell you that's not going to happen. But uh, Christ has shed his blood to secure our perfection. It won't be in this world. If we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves. Uh, but certainly we will be perfectly sanctified. We will be glorified. Christ has died to secure that. His blood has secured that. But we're not yet perfect. And we're members of an imperfect congregation. At times personalities will clash. At times we will fall into sin. And certainly in the Christian church one of the marks. The identifying marks of the true church of Jesus Christ. Is church discipline. And sometimes it may uh, rend the heart of the preacher. And the session. And the presbytery. But there are times when uh, individuals have to be dealt with. Discipline has to be uh, meted out and so on. But it's all intended for the good and the well-being of the offender. And here in Corinth there was a man and he was uh, guilty of scandalous sin. And the oversight, they had not dealt with it as it should have been dealt with. And Paul commands them to deal with it. And they do eventually deal with it. And the man is brought to the place where he hates his sin. He loathes his sin. He turns from his sin. And now Paul says we need to forgive that individual. We need to receive him back into the fellowship. And we need to receive him with love and with charity and grace and so on. And he says if you don't do that, you're playing into the hands of the devil. If you hold bitterness and spite against one another, then you're playing into the hands of the devil. Don't be a fool. Satan will take advantage of it in the church. Don't be ignorant of his devices. At all costs, we must live as far as possible. We must live in true, genuine Christian love and unity. Or the devil will take advantage of it. Make sure the devil is not taking advantage in this congregation. Make sure the devil is not taking advantage in your home or in the session meetings or the committee meetings. It's so easy to play into the hands of the devil. And sometimes to play into the hands of the devil thinking you're doing a service for Jesus Christ. I think again of Peter himself. There was a time when the devil used Peter's mouth, not just to deny the Lord, but I think of that time, that occasion there in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where the Lord was speaking to Peter about his death, his atoning death, the shedding of his blood. And Peter says, no, no, that's not going to happen. And the Lord looked at Peter and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. So easy for the devil to use your mouth and my mouth. An unguarded word or action, maybe even a glance. The devil can use that. 
to make inroads into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sober. Take heed when you stand. Lest we fall. But notice then in the second place we've looked at Satan's desire. Notice Peter's defeat here. Uh, Luke 22 verse 34. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Of course, Peter, uh, filled with self-confidence, he failed to take the warning of Christ seriously. He overestimated his own strength. He underestimated the strength, the power of the enemy. He failed to take the warning of Christ seriously. We dare not do so this morning. We can't afford just to sit here and think, uh, there's another sermon, uh, shake hands at the door and go out and forget what we've heard. Some didn't expect me to be here today. You didn't expect to hear me preach. But God from eternity knew what he would have me preach here this morning for good reason. God makes no mistakes. But Peter feared the Lord. He feared Jesus Christ. He forsook Christ. He denied the Lord and denied his Savior with oaths and with cursing. No, I would never do that. I'd never feel Christ in such a way. You overestimate yourself. You underestimate the devil. You underestimate the power of the world. And you certainly underestimate the power of remaining corruption and indwelling sin. We need to fall upon our faces before God and cry to him for help and for mercy and for grace and for power. Or we'll fall on our faces in sin. Peter was a defeated man. Of course, after his denial, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter and the Bible says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Until the day he died, he never forgot his failure. I wonder, have you entered into God's house this morning, a defeated Christian? Maybe you feel like a disgraced Christian. Peter felt that. And burning tears of bitterness streamed down his cheeks. Have we not all been there? Have you not come to the place when you've so sensed your failure, your defeat, your sin. You've actually wondered, how could I ever have done that if I, if, I, if I was truly saved? It's hard to believe. Here's a man who walked with Christ, who knew the Lord more intimately than you and I. A man who performed miracles. A man who preached in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
These men did wonders. Yet they turned around and forsook Christ in his darkest hour and denied him with oaths and with cursing. See, it's Spurgeon said he doubted the salvation of any man who never doubted his salvation. I'd have, I would not be surprised if Peter on this occasion doubted if he was even saved. He went out and wept bitterly. Maybe that's how you've come into God's house today. With doubts and fears, defeated, disgraced. But there is deliverance for you. I remember down in Jamaica, a young man came to church one day. He actually came in to see two young ladies. That's what brought him into the church to begin with. But he came in anyway, and he heard the gospel, and he came to Christ. And uh, he wasn't employed, but uh, I think it was the following week or a few weeks after he got a job uh, working in one of the hotels. A lot of the young people there worked cleaning hotels and different things. And uh, he got this job, and he came in and uh, put his shack, his first wage, in the offering plate. Now in Jamaica, some would put, maybe it's the same in other parts, Mr. McElveen might know this, I don't know, but maybe they'd put money in the offering plate and then they expect to get change back later. And uh, I thought, well, maybe you want change from this check or the check cashed or whatever. And I said to him, do you want this cashed or money back? He said, oh no, pastor, that's, that's all for the Lord. And that was his everything. All that he had. He was a young man, and as you would walk up the old dirt path to his house, and there were the pigs at the front door wallowing in the mire and the filth, and above the snorting and the noise of the pigs and the grunts and so forth, you could hear this young man praying his heart out to God. He'd have little children's meetings in his yard, and God was blessing, and God was using him in the community. And then in his place of employment, he was uh, such a character, a uh, lovely sort of natured fellow. And uh, in the hotel, they recognized that. So what did they do? They put him behind the bar. And all the tourists loved him. Of course, he fell into sin. Became barman of the year. They sent him to America. They gave him a brand new car. It was a time... When his car was the only car in the church car park. No one else had a car. A few years ago he came back to the Lord. And he's going on well with the Savior today, serving Christ. But he has come to me again and again, he said, Pastor, no matter how I try, I can't seem to get the joy back. That I once had when first I met the Lord. Is that how you've come into God's house this morning? The golden years of your Christian experience. is way, way, way back there somewhere in the past. That's not where God wants you to be. These things write I unto you, he says, that your joy might be full. That is God's revealed will for this congregation of believers this morning. That you might live in the fullness of the joy of God's salvation.
in spite of your failure, in spite of your sins. And we see here in this text, Christ's deliverance of Peter. If you look very quickly, uh, Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And certainly the Lord's prayers prevailed, and Peter was restored. He was delivered from his backslidden condition. Oh yes, there was weeping and bitter tears over his sin. There was hatred of his sin. There was loathing for his sin. There was genuine repentance and turning away from his sin. But Christ had not finished with Peter. Though he had denied the Lord with oaths and with cursing. The Lord did not cast Peter upon some rubbish heap. The Lord says, I have prayed for thee. And the Lord was continuing to pray for Peter. And the Lord is doing the same for you. And the Lord is doing the same for me. We have a man in the glory. When Jesus Christ shed his blood and died, the Bible says through the power, through the virtue of his own blood, he rose from the dead. We think of that glorious resurrection, especially at this Easter season. Christ rose from the dead through the merit, by the power of his own blood. And with and by that blood, he has entered into heaven. His physical body is in heaven. And there Christ appears in the presence of God for us. In spite of our sin, though we feel him, though we at times bring shame to his name, even at times believers fall into scandalous sin. And certainly Christ will deal with our sins. We think again of David and how he fell into sin. And the Lord did not just sweep his sin under some proverbial carpet. Christ dealt with his sin. Christ exposed his sin. As a result of David's sin, he had to face uh, the chastening of the God who chastens every child he loves and receives. And Christ in love and in grace dealt with David's sin. We think of the death of that child born from that sinful relationship with Bathsheba. We think of how another son, Absalom, rose up against David. The sword did not depart from his house. We think of how David was forbidden to actually build the, the temple. But while there was certainly chastisement and while God certainly corrected David and dealt with his sin and brought him to repentance, God had not finished with David. We think of that Psalm 51 that David penned by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all dealing with his sin, his failure, and his restoration. We think of how David was used to uh, gather together all the materials to actually build the temple, how by inspiration he designed the temple, and how God used him mightily. We think here of Peter, how he penned these epistles, how God used him on the day of Pentecost, and after that to bring thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls to Jesus Christ. And how these words of these men who fell into sin, how they've been used to encourage believers and to encourage you and to encourage me, through the centuries, 
God had not finished with Peter. Christ had not finished with Peter. He says, I have prayed for you. And is it not a glorious thought, child of God? Though perhaps you sit here this morning in defeat to know that Jesus is praying for you. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. I love those words for us. He's ascended into the most holy place <coughs> now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is always for us. Even when we sin against him, even when we feel him, even when Peter denied him, even when David committed adultery, <coughs> Christ was always for his people. And he's always for you, child of God. I think of the Apostle Paul and how he felt the weight of his sin. You read there in Romans chapter 7, Paul, the great apostle, perhaps the greatest missionary next to Christ himself that the world has ever seen. And yet Paul had to write about his indwelling sin. And how he was guilty of doing the things that he hated. He's talking there about his sin. The things that I hate that I do. But then he takes that shield of faith. Remember how the devil was going to attack Peter, especially his faith. And Paul takes the shield of faith. In other words, he believes what God has said in his word. And after writing... In Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am. He takes the shield of faith and he says in Romans 8, verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. And again, we think of the devil and how he attacks us. He, he wants to lead us into sin. He tempts us to sin. But the moment you sin, then he's there with the knife and he twists it. And he begins to condemn you himself. And he begins to accuse you. He is the accuser of the brethren. We think of that hymn. What though the accuser roar. And yes the devil will come. And he will uh, whisper in your ear. How much you have failed God. What a failure you are. It's like. A fiery dart into the soul. A burning accusation. And Paul felt that. And Paul knew what he was saying when he, he wrote in Ephesians 6.16. Above all, take the shield of faith. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in the gospel. Faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Faith in the cross work of Christ. Faith in the atoning blood of Christ. And by faith, Paul could say there in Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That is true. For every Christian here, Christ is for us. He died for us. He paid our debt for us with his own precious blood.
He satisfied divine justice for us. He lived a perfect life for us to clothe us in his perfect righteousness. He has ascended into heaven for us. He's coming again for us. He ever lives for us. His blood atones. It has atoned for us. His blood prevails for us. And though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, sure I know them well and thousands more. But by faith I know this also. Jehovah findeth none. I usually read every morning Spurgeon's checkbook to the bank of faith. Reading that as in my teenage years from I first met the Lord. I missed the reading yesterday. I was reading it this morning. How God promises to forget our sins. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. We're washed in the blood of Christ. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah the prophet says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, with that perfect robe of the righteousness of Christ. By faith in that gospel, we do battle against the devil. We quench the fiery darts, the burning accusations of the wicked one. And we go on with God in this battle. You know the church in the Old Testament, our time is gone this morning. But the church in the Old Testament, they began to doubt God's love and God's grace. With this verse we'll close. Zion said, Isaiah 49 verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, my Lord hath forgotten me. Is that how you feel? Is that what you think of Christ? You think he's forgotten you? Think he has forsaken you? Such thoughts are sinful thoughts. Such thoughts are an insult to Christ. I will never fail thee. I will never forsake thee. I am with you always. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget. It will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Those hands are now lifted up in the presence of God for you, child of God. The Lord will never cast you away. Someone prayed in the prayer meeting this morning, His mercy <coughs> endureth forever. Of course, that's only true of His people. If you're not saved, it is by the mercy of God that you're sitting here this morning listening to the words of eternal life. But His Spirit will not always strive with man. And he that hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, not without remedy. Christ offers you freely his salvation today. It's a genuine, it's a true, it's a free offer. But if you reject that offer, I think of the ministry of Stephen. He said to the religious leaders of his day, 
ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. And if you resist the grace of God, you'll go to hell in your sins. His mercy will not endure toward you forever. But child of God, no matter how you've failed Christ, and I'm not making little of sin, but I'm making much of Christ and the mercy, the grace, and the blood of the Lamb, no matter how greatly you've sinned, there's mercy with the Lord. And toward you, believer, his mercy will never end. His mercy will never cease. His mercy endureth forever. Let's bow together for prayer. Our time is long gone. We're not going to sing a closing hymn this morning. I want to thank you for your patience. We do trust the Lord will write his word upon every heart and encourage every believer here today and draw us closer on to himself. If you are backslidden, cold at heart, away from the Lord, uh, then do feel free to speak to me or to some brother or sister here. and We'll be privileged to deal with you as best as we can, to point you to Christ from his word. And if you're not saved, then make sure today uh, you don't abuse the mercy, the long-suffering, the grace of God. Come to Christ and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our gracious God and our Father in heaven, we do rejoice today in the mercy of the Lord. We thank thee for the grace, the long-suffering of our Saviour. We do rejoice in thy goodness toward thy people. We think of the congregation here, and we thank thee that while we are sinners, yet the Lord loves us, his blood covers us, we are clothed upon with the righteousness of Christ, and the Lord delights in his people. And we pray, O God, that thou would lead us more and more into an understanding of the gospel, of who Christ is, of what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing for us now, and of what Christ will do for us in the future, and help us to rejoice more fully in the person and work of our Redeemer. Now, Lord, part us in thy fear this day, and with thy blessing abiding upon all, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, in sincerity and in truth. For we ask all these things in our Saviour's name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.